and, and all. Turn to John chapter 8. And we're, I don't know if you take a look at our statements as we make them, but you can have those in the, uh, in the bulletin as well. But we're looking at the Gospel of John. We're still in chapter 8. And in verses 1 through 12, Jesus has just openly declared hostilities against these self-righteous leaders. They brought this woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus while he's teaching in the temple. He ignored their ranting and raving. In fact, John says in uh, verse 6, as though he didn't hear them. Jesus silently responded to their accusations with a word of, uh, that was written in the dust. Words that must have demanded honest examination of their consciences. Words that probably shed light on the secret corners of their hearts and probed those inner thoughts. Because each accuser, it says, convinced by their conscience, went out one by one. But now, they're back. They're regrouped and they're ready to fight. And they're saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? You say you're the light of the world? We don't believe that. So we begin this morning in verse 13. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus' claims. The Pharisees, therefore, said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. It's not valid. It wouldn't hold up in a court of law. The law requires two or more witnesses to confirm any truth. Several of these Jewish leaders, they already know, but they're ignoring the fact that Jesus answered this same accusation, and John records it in uh, chapter 5. He had five different witnesses that agree to his claims that he makes, including this statement, I am the light of the world. So our first sentence I want you to focus on is, Jesus isn't arguing with these hardened hearts of these angry, spiteful Pharisees. He's giving testimony to the open hearts that stand in the background, truly listening. In chapter 5, Jesus presented testimony from John the Baptist, uh, the supernatural demonstration of his miracles, the endorsement of God the Father in the conscience of every person, the prophetic validation of the Old Testament, those scriptures, and last but not least, Moses, and what Moses wrote about him. It's an airtight case built for the claims of Jesus. With these five witnesses giving testimony of his authenticity, Jesus is confident of who he is and of everything that he has to say. So he boldly answers these critics here in John chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. 
You see, these two facts give Jesus the ability to speak with confidence about the present. In fact, when the final crisis of his life came, in the shadow of the, of the cross, we see him rising from the table at that last supper. Satan has already entered the heart of Judas. Jesus, it says, knows that his hour has come. But we find him kneeling before each disciple, washing their feet. My second thing I want you to think about. John says Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. This is what gave Jesus the strength to face the cross, to face these self-righteous critics. In fact, we look at John 13, 3, where after the Last Supper, and it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. That's what gave him confidence. And you better believe that this is the basis of our courage and strength as well. In fact, do you know where you came from? Are you a special creation formed by, in the womb by the caring, loving hand of God? Can you say with King David in Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, most people today can't correctly answer these two statements. In fact, they don't know where they've come from. They, they can only speculate. Did they come from some primordial slime, or are they headed into extinction or nothingness? The evolutionists will believe anything to negate and nullify the need for a creator. But the Lord Jesus knew from where he came. That's the only way to know where you're going. That puts what I call backbone into your beliefs. If Genesis, if Genesis chapter 1 isn't true, don't bother to read any further. Well, Jesus finishes his thought in verse 14 at the end of the verse. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You see, Jesus' testimony about himself was more accurate than that of his opponents. They had no idea of his origin or his destiny. This is my third statement I want you to focus on this morning. Someone once said that if you take the claims of Jesus at face value, there are only three conclusions that you can come to. Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he was truly the Son of God. Well, these cynics standing before him, they're never going to believe. To believe. In fact, they weren't able to deny the miracles that they witnessed. And they finally come up with a fourth conclusion about who Jesus is. If you've got your, your Bible, you can look down at verse 48 in this chapter. In verse 48, the Jews answered, and they said to him, 
they throw out two negative, degrading thoughts. Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus, they're saying, must come from some unclean race. He must be possessed by supernatural demonic powers. Well, in verse 15, Jesus is showing these critics the error in, the, in their thinking. So he says, You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. The Pharisees, Jesus is saying, judge by human standards. They lack spiritual insight. They were limited by superficial, skin-deep appearances. They saw only his flesh, not his deity. So they misjudged him. By contrast, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to judge, but to save people. He said this to Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In fact, when Jesus does judge in the future, he'll simply execute the Father's will, not his own independent judgment. He says this in chapter 5 of John, verse 27. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Verse 16, we'll move on. And yet, he says, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Jesus is telling us, I'm not alone. He says that he's giving us the judgment that comes from heaven. He's giving God's viewpoint. Well, this is revelation, and it differs from speculation. This is why their hostility, the hostility and anger of these religious rulers, it continues to increase. In verse 17, Jesus says, It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Well, right here, Jesus shows the validity of two witnesses for all that he does and says. I think Jesus may be referring to two different events. Do you remember what they are? They've already taken place in the life of Jesus. The first was at his baptism, where a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The second was a little more private. It was on the mountain, and another voice, or the same voice, came again another time. This time the voice said, This is my beloved Son, hear him. So Jesus claims his Father's support and authority in the last part of this verse 18. He goes on and says, The Father who sent me bears witness of me. You see, these men were just, they were still judging according to the flesh. 
They say to him in verse 19, Well, then where is your father? I, I think they might be reflecting on Jesus' birth. Apparently, the Jews had researched Jesus' background, and they're scoffing at the idea of his virgin birth. Finishing verse 19, Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Well, this is the bottom line. This is the real issue. It's my fourth statement in our bulletin here. There is no middle ground. If you're going to know God the Father, you must come through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Well, they wanted to. Tempers are building and fists are clenching, voices are being raised. Where is your father? But God is still in control. John tells us, no one laid hands on or arrested him because, as John points out, at least four different times in the gospel, Jesus is working on God's time schedule to accomplish the Father's will. Well, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Uh, Notice the word sin here is singular. I think it's the sin of rejecting the one who offers salvation. Some people have called this the unforgivable sin. Jesus is predicting his departure. Perhaps from the time of his childhood. Remember at the age of 12 he was asking and answering questions in in the temple or the synagogue. I think from this, that time on, he may have lived each day aware of his impending crucifixion and his ascension into heaven. Verse 22, so the Jews say, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. Well, they already think him a little crazy, so uh, this would prove it. Will Jesus kill himself? No. In fact, Jesus will give himself as a ransom for many. A ransom for you and I. Verse 23. And he said to them, You are from beneath, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Well, he was the genuine article, the extraterrestrial. He came to earth from heaven above. His wisdom was heavenly. His his mind was divine. He possessed God's love and nature. Jesus was from a different dimension. Neither his origination nor his destination was here below. He came from God and that's where he's going to return. 
Verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You see, Jesus openly declares, I am He. Now, you and I might wonder, well, who is He? But every Jewish child, as they prepare for their bar mitzvah, or for the girls, the bat mitzvah, they are taught that the Messiah, the Christ, He, He is coming. And so they said to Him, I think with big eyes, they said, Who are you? They're shocked by this proclamation. Jesus is not just claiming rabbi or prophet status. They're thinking, did we hear correctly? Did he just say, no, can't be. Then looking right at Jesus, one of them shouts out, who are you? And in a calm voice, I believe, Jesus said to them, and we have it in the last part of verse 25, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Jesus answers this question, and he affirms one more time his claim that he is the promised Messiah sent from God. So in the next four verses, he tells them three things. First, he tells them that the Father sent him. Verse 26. He says, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world these things which I heard from him. Well, John could see that they were confused. So he says in the next verse, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. The Father not only sent Jesus, but he is the source of all that Jesus came to proclaim. Well, next Jesus says in verse 28, the Father taught him. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Jesus is taught by the Father. Every situation, this is my fifth point I want you to focus on, every situation, every confrontation, Every deliberation in Jesus' life was scripted by the Father. Nothing he said or did was by accident or chance, but by the Father's design. Jesus speaks here of being lifted up. Well, of course, this is referring to the crucifixion. He had mentioned this to Nicodemus in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus gives his third proof that he is the Messiah, promised by the Old Testament prophets. The Father not only sent him and taught him, but the Father remains with him. Verse 29, 
And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Well, the crowd, the people in the background, they're hanging on every word, every claim and assertion that Jesus has just made about himself. John tells us in verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. You see, I think as the Pharisees became more and more incensed, more and more angry, the people listening in became more and more convinced. Jesus was knocking on the door of their hearts and they heard his voice. Then many opened that door. Verse 31 So Jesus speaks to these people who believed. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. He's saying this to us too, if you believe him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. This is my sixth point to focus on in the bulletin here. To abide means to trust or to rest. Faith in Christ makes one a child of God. But abiding in the Word and knowing the truth and living it makes each of us a true disciple of the kingdom. Then in verse 32, Jesus makes one of His more uh, famous statements. He says, And you shall know the truth. And what? The truth will make you free. Well, Jesus is speaking about spiritual, not physical or political bondage and freedom and liberty. You see, the lost sinner is in bondage to lusts and sins. Titus tells us this in chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived serving various lusts and pleasures. Also, Paul tells us there's a bondage to Satan and a bondage to this world. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. By receiving the truth in Christ, slaves are set free. This is my seventh point I want us to focus on. Jesus tells us the truth. And if we believe His words enough to follow them, They lead to an abundant life. Well now, in verse 31, I pointed out that Jesus was speaking directly to those Jews who believed in him. But in verse 33, it's his opponents who butt in and answer. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will will be made free? 
Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus exposes the real bondage. It's spiritual slavery. He goes on and says in verse 35, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He's saying that the slave comes to the house to work. He can please his master, but he can never obtain family status. He can never have a permanent place in his master's house. He gets his hat at the end of the day and leaves for home. We are sons, born into God's family. We hang up our hat and we abide in God's household forever. Then Jesus makes a distinction in verse 37 when he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. In other words, you may be Abraham's descendants, but you're not his children. In the scriptures, there are four different kinds of spiritual children. Uh, the first distinction is made uh, in Ephesians 2, chapter 3. It says, we are born by nature. Our nature, we are children of wrath. We are born into the sin of Adam and Eve. Then when we reach the age of accountability and we deliberately sin, we become the children of disobedience. That's found there in Ephesians 2 as well. But when you put your faith in Christ, Jesus told us in John 1.12, we become the children of God. But in this, uh, in this chapter, Jesus is going to talk to these Jewish leaders. And he says a person who finally rejects the Savior, a person who prefers self-righteousness. You see, that's the devil's substitute that person becomes, as Jesus is going to say, a child of the devil. And in the next 11 verses, 37 through 47, Jesus points out the seven characteristics of these children of the devil. Those who have purposely rejected the Savior. I think our lives, the lives of those who love Jesus, our values and priorities should be the mirror image of what we see in these verses. The first one, Jesus says, is that they will not give place to the Word of God. He says this in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my Word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have seen with your father. These Pharisees are rejecting every word, every claim Jesus makes about himself. How about you and I? The words of Jesus, of his spirit, are the only source of truth that spans the ages, that gives us absolute direction and understanding for life today. It puts all our views into correct alignment. 
God's Word is the standard by which all truth is measured. It's the living tool used by the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our thoughts and actions. In Hebrews we find, I have the New Living Translation, chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. This is my eighth point I want us to focus on in the bulletin. God's Word has the power to guide us, motivate us, and invigorate us to live for Jesus. It's what Psalm 119 says in verses 9 through 11. I love these verses. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, next in verse 39, we come to the second characteristic. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Jesus says, You might be the earthly descendants of Abraham, but you're certainly not Abraham's spiritual children, not by trusting in your flesh. Abraham was saved by faith. These Jewish leaders are depending on their national connection to Abraham. They may have his DNA, but they certainly didn't have his faith. The words come from the Old Testament, coming from an, an, an old hymn, Ring True in My Ears. Some of you old folks may know this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less then Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but what? Holy lean on Jesus' name. Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, told us in chapter 2, verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Then the third characteristic is found in verse 40. They hate Christ and seek to kill him. You see, Satan is a murderer and his children imitate him. Now, Jesus says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. This very act of unbelief and bloodshed labels their true kinship. Well, you might ask, how is this act of bloodshed done today? I think there's four ways people try to murder the person of Christ today. One, by claiming that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, didn't even exist. By mocking or rejecting the historical accuracies of the Scriptures by demoting Jesus from his claims of deity to being just another good moral teacher. And by claiming Jesus and his disciples to be out-and-out liars or delusional at best. Verse 41, Jesus goes on, You do the deeds of your father. 
Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. You know, I think this statement might allude again to the legitimacy of his birth. But we live by faith. You and I, we have a faith that's kept fresh as we serve a risen, living Savior. Another old hymn comes to me. He lives, he lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. What? He lives within my heart. We come to the fourth characteristic in verse 42. They do not love Christ or the things of Christ. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. Well, this is my ninth statement I want us to focus on. No other human had come from God. But Jesus pre-existed before His birth. He had divine origins. There are many moral, ethical people who accept that Jesus did exist, but not the biblical version of that history. They allow for the man Jesus. But as Christians, we not only believe, we put our faith into Jesus We love the Savior. He is my friend, my kinsman, my Redeemer. Uh, Characteristic number five. They do not understand the Word. They're blinded by Satan. Verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my Word. Well, I think this refers to a person's ability to understand and gain spiritual insights from God's Word. Without the indwelling Spirit, they're not able. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. As we're here this morning, as we pray and worship together and encourage one another, we study God's Word. We preach God's Word. And many of us, or it's hard to do, memorize God's Word. It's God's Word that guides our path. Back to uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, in that the longest chapter in the Bible, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, I love Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, don't you? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. God's Word is our source of life. We come to the sixth characteristic of Satan's children. They are liars and love lies more than the truth. Verse 44, Jesus drops the hammer on them right here. He doesn't mix His words. 
Verse 44, You are of your father the devil. Then the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Well, you know, Jesus, he knew the devil firsthand. He'd been dealing with him a long, long time. During these feasts even now, these very men entertained lies about Jesus and they plotted to kill him. Jesus says in verse 45, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus is pointing out a contradiction. He says, you can't deny me, but you won't believe me. This is just another form of a lie. It is so easy to shade the truth, isn't it? My mother used to call it telling a fib, or a white lie, or a story, a tall tale. My tenth statement I want us to focus on. If we are known as believers for anything, it must be honesty and integrity and the sanctity of life. We come now to number seven. They will not hear the word of God. They hate it. He who is of God hears God's words, Jesus says. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Just look back in history. Bibles are burned. Prayers are banned. Biblical truth and values are despised and rejected. I've even been told that we are promoting hate crimes to teach the biblical view of marriage and sexuality. In our lives, God's Word must be revered, held above all other ideas, rules, or directives. Well, I want you to remember these children of the devil were not grossly immoral people. In fact, they were self-righteous religious people who rejected Christ. Many people today are deluded by Satan. Tyler, come on up and help us close. They're deluded into an outward form of godliness that lacks the power of the gospel. These people think they are safe from eternity, that they're going to heaven or nirvana or some other place, or at least they're ceasing to exist at death's door. Our whole purpose here at Open Gate is to proclaim God's Word and encourage you all to respond to the challenges of Jesus. First, if you don't know Him, to open your heart to Jesus. Accept Him as Savior. Become a child of God. And then that same challenge He gave to the believers in verse 31 When Jesus said to the Jews who believed, 
If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So ask the Lord to help each of us. Help us abide in Jesus. To trust and rest in His Word. To not only be a child of God, but by knowing the truth and doing that truth, to be a true disciple of the Kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You Thank you for standing up to the criticism. Standing up not only to the criticism, but to the hatred and the murderous thoughts of those who heard you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life a ransom for me, for us. Lord, help us to be examples of who you are in this world. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Please stand together for this last song.